singing us that beautiful song about a wonderful, bountiful supply. What a great morning we've had already. And I just uh, forgot that I told the first service a little update about our building. So I wanted to let you guys know we are so excited about a renovation and an expansion that we're planning to do on this building. And we are still waiting to get back from all the various engineers and get the final word from the city that we can actually get a few bids and move forward. And every week we make a little progress. Every week there's a couple more little opportunities that present themselves. Every week we just get more excited and we keep praying for God's will to be done. So I want to invite you to keep praying with us that God would give us the wisdom and the right timing, the right amount, the right extent, the right decisions that need to be made. There's still several things that are uh, just uh, presenting themselves each week that just are amazing uh, you know, options for us to think through and pray through. So you guys stay posted, and we'll let you know more specifics as we get them. Thank you kindly, again, for your extreme patience on this particular uh, issue. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Romans chapter 12. This morning, you've, uh, if you're visiting, you've caught us kind of in between an exposition of Ephesians and in between starting the gospel of John. We hope to start the Gospel of John two weeks from today. In the meantime, I've been doing a few selected psalms, and this morning is what we call Small Group Sunday. It's an opportunity for us to emphasize one of the major distinctions of our church. Not only do we focus on expository preaching, not only do we focus on Christ-centered worship, not only do we focus on biblical counseling, but we have a preeminent focus here at our church on what we call our Small Group Ministry. So this morning, the title of the sermon is What Makes Small Groups Successful? And if there's a text to turn to, it's this one, Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Paul writes this in verse 9 Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the joy of reading the scripture. Thank you for the encouragement and the conviction we receive by your Holy Spirit every time we open your word. I pray that on this day, as we tackle this subject of small group ministry, that we would see it as a means of discipleship. We would see it as a means of practicing the one another's. We would see it as a means of just personal growth in our fellowship. That You would generate a deep desire in our people 
to meet together, to commune together, to study the word together, to rejoice together, to live life together. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, bread has been one of the staple foods of our world since the very beginning of time. You may not know this, but bread was even present to some degree in the Garden of Eden. You say, well, Adam, how how do you know that? Well, you might remember the curse when God judged Adam and Eve for their sin. He says this, he said, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Listen to this next phrase. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. And so we know in one form or another, bread has existed for as long back as history records itself. Even in the Garden of Eden, there might have been some type of bread present there in the garden. Not only does God talk about bread in Genesis chapter 3, but Christ talks about bread, he who came to redeem us from the curse, who offered himself in John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And so we know that bread has a central place in the Bible as a, as a sense of food and a sense of sustenance and a sense of who Christ is, one of the I am statements in the gospel of John. Now, as you think about the subject of bread, I just wanted to acknowledge there's a way that you can have really good bread. And there's a way to have really bad bread. You've probably been to a restaurant that served really bad bread. Or maybe worse, you were at a friend's house and they served a meal and the bread that you ate was so stale and so bad that you just considered spitting it out. But you didn't, right? Because you are a good neighbor, right? But bread is out there. It's served at most of our restaurants as one of the free appetizers. In fact, let me give you my top five. Can I do that? My top five bread places. You ready? This is going from all the way to the best, all right? Saving the best for last. How about Red Lobster? Haven't been to Red Lobster in a long time. Somebody gave us a gift certificate. My wife and I went there. Cheddar Bay Biscuits. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. It's good stuff. I know Red Lobster's kind of old school, but don't give up on the bread. Cheddar Bay Biscuits, that's all you need to order. Just show up for the Cheddar Bay, all right? Second, I would, I'm going to go with, and God has answered our prayer. Lisa and I have been praying for Cheesecake Factory to come to Santa Clarita since we've been here, and it's on its way. We love the French bread, the oat bread they have at Cheesecake Factory. That is one of our all-time favorite. Next would be, now I'm from the South, so you know I'm going here, Cracker Barrel. Come on. At Cracker Barrel, you got to love you some biscuits and some corn muffins, a little bit of jelly, a little bit of butter, a little bit of honey. I'm telling you, it's so good, it's going to make you want to slap your mama. That's what they say in the South, all right? That's what they say. That's a term of endearment, believe it or not, uh, in the South. But, man, I tell you, Cracker Barrel, that's good stuff. Next, this is number two on my list. It's a classic. You know I'm going there, Olive Garden, all right? We're talking about classic garlic bread. Breadsticks. The Hoglos will be headed there after the service. If you want to join them, Chris will be there. And so, you know, it's, a, it's great to have some uh, Olive Garden breadsticks. In fact, sometimes Lisa and I just want to go order the salad, let the kids eat all the breadsticks. We'll eat some salad. Kids keep eating breadsticks, and they just keep eating them. They just never stop. All right, number one, in my, uh, in my view of bread in every restaurant I've ever been to is Macaroni Grill. We're doing it because of the rosemary bread. It was Lisa and I, our first date. We fell in love. 
And we fell in love with the bread. We like to get some oil and some balsamic vinegar. Come on, you color with one hand on the table mat, and you take the bread, stir it up, and eat it up. I'm telling you, we love some rosemary bread at Macaroni Grill. Now, let me just say this. In addition to the way that the bread is seasoned, what makes good bread good bread is whether or not it has the right yeast culture. Yeast is the leaven in the bread which makes it rise. And the main purpose of the yeast is to serve as a catalyst in the process of fermentation, which is essential in the making of any kind of bread. Yeast simply feeds on the sugars in the flour and then expels carbon dioxide. Some of you are thinking, are, are they still having like HOMAC at the college? Look, the program's done. I'm sorry, no more HOMAC at the college. But my wife tells me this is how bread is made. So she knows. She has a degree in HOMAC. But it releases that carbon dioxide, which causes the bread to rise. Now, no one understood this clearly until the invention of the microscope. Before this, it was thought of some type of magic but it was Louis Pasteur who in the late 1860s identified yeast as a living organism and the microscopic agent responsible for causing bread to rise. Why am I telling you all this? I am telling you this because it is small group Sunday and if this church is to ever rise, pun intended, then you guys have got to start being good yeast. You got to start being a good microorganism that may on the outside not seem to, real, to be the real core of this church. It would be easy for you to say, no, no, Adam, I, I don't know about that. If the church is going to grow, we need good preaching. So it's my job to preach the word expositionally week in and week out. And I would agree with you on that. Or you might say, no, 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 no. If the church is going to grow, you got to have great worship. I mean, you got to have Christ-centered worship, the best of the old, the best of the new, blended together. And if you do that, your church will grow. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning, you say, no, 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 no. The way the church grows is people got to give money. I mean, you got to show up with the dough in your wallet, that kind of money, right? That kind of bread. And if you give money, then the church will grow. What I would argue with this morning, uh, I would argue with all that from this basis, that the idea is that the church is not just preaching. Church is not just singing. Church is not just giving. Church is you and me together in real life encouraging one another on a daily basis to grow in our love for Christ. If all you do is show up on Sunday morning at this hour for an hour and a half and you walk in and you walk out and you're not connected in any other way than that one service, then you're missing what church is really about. Yes, it's about preaching. Yes, it's about worship. Yes, it's about giving, but it's also about discipleship. It's about counseling. It's about one anothering one another. Peter says it this way, that we are living stones. You and I are the foundation of the church built on Christ, yes, built on the doctrine, sound doctrine, yes, but it still takes you and I as living stones to build the house. And God wants to do a special work at Placerita. And what I'm trying to say is it doesn't start with me. It doesn't start with what happens here in the corporate hour of worship. I believe so much of it happens day in and day out in our small group ministry. So I would say if you're looking to me for the growth of this church, this is going to be a sad church. If you're looking to Pastor Steve or Josh or Tim as the main means by which this church grows, it's going to be a sad church. What I'm saying is look to yourself. 
not you without Christ. Obviously, look to Christ in you. And I would say start fermenting. Start eating up on the sugars of the love of God through the gospel and through his word and through each other in such a way that you begin to release an aroma that causes the bread to rise. Placerita, do you want good bread? It's partly up to you. Not just us, uh, up to us. It's not all our programs. It's about Christ and his glory, and it's about us all being the living organism of yeast to make this church happen. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to just simply talk to you about the importance of small groups. In your bulletin is a small outline, and it's got three headings on it this morning as we try to answer the question, what makes small groups successful? Number one, I want to give you three parts that make up a small group. Can I do that in case you're wondering what is a small group? It's got to have these three parts to be legit. Number one, a bold and beautiful savior. That's your first blank if you are taking notes. And that's obviously a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, you don't have a small group. At least you don't have a small group that matters. We're not talking about just having some type of club here. We're talking about the living organism of the church of God that exists in you and I as living stones. We're talking about the body of Christ. And so first, in your small group, there's got to be Christ, a beautiful and a bold Savior. I would say Jesus was bold when he left heaven and when he came to earth in the form of God, right? He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. Jesus was bold when he went to the cross where he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was bold when he sweat drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane where he prayed so earnestly that sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus was bold when he prayed, Father, not your will, but uh, not my will, but thine be done. Right? Jesus was bold when he confronted the Pharisees and he said, you are the father, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. That's the kind of Jesus we need in our small group, a Jesus that will call out false teaching, a Jesus that will say, no matter what it costs, I'm going to give my life to follow my father's will. And we see that in his example as a bold and yet beautiful. Not only was he bold, he is beautiful in the way he forgave the adulterous woman when he, uh, you know, they found the woman in the act of adultery. They all come. Jesus said, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. They all walk away. And Jesus said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. That's beautiful. That's a picture of the gospel. Jesus was beautiful when he blessed the little children. In Matthew 19, he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Jesus was beautiful when he healed the leper. The leper came to him and said, Lord, if you will, make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy left him. Jesus was beautiful when he, raised, uh, when he was raised from the dead and he presented himself to Thomas Doubting Thomas, who doubted so much so that the Lord Jesus would be raised from the dead. And yet Jesus took his hand and he took his finger and he placed it on his wounds and he placed it in his side. And then Thomas said, my Lord and my God. That's a beautiful Jesus. That's a bold Jesus. This Jesus must be invited to your small group. This Jesus started the very first small group with his 12 apostles 
This Jesus was close to the inner three, Peter, James, and John. This Jesus modeled for us biblical conversations, both in his messages that he preached and in the conversation that he had when he's just hanging out with his disciples about what it's all about. And so the first part of your small group is you got to have Jesus there. Second part of a small group is this, number two, a bold and brilliant message. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel is. It's about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's that he died according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, 1 Corinthians 15 says, according to the scriptures. The gospel is the transformation that while you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, that he made you alive together with Christ. And let me tell you something, small group is not just about waxing eloquently on the secondary and tertiary issues and the nuances of deeper theology. There's a time for that. There's a place for that. But small group, by and large, is an opportunity for us, the living body of Christ, to look to our Savior and to look to the gospel and to be refreshed yet again and again and again with the beauty of Christ and this incredible message that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. This leads us to the third part of your small group. First, we have Jesus. Second, we have the gospel. And then third, we have you. It's a bunch of little people, just normal people like you and me. Obviously, Jesus is an amazing Savior. He is known throughout the world, whether people believe in him or not. World history has been more affected by this one man than a thousand men put together. Everybody knows Jesus. He's simply an amazing person who had perfect theology, who taught with authority, but was also available to the common man. He showed love and compassion like no one else. We also have the gospel. It's a worldwide message that trumps every religion. The gospel crosses lines of every culture. The gospel is simply the best news ever heard. Then we have you, just a little person. You may feel small and insignificant and unimportant when you compare yourself and your presence and your attendance at a small group next to the great one, the God-man, Jesus Christ, and the incredible message of the gospel. But in order to have a small group, we need you. We need you there. We need you available. We need you present. We need you willing to talk. We need you opening up. We need you practicing in one another's. We need you in small groups. Without you, they don't happen. So don't miscount yourself. Yes, you're a little person. Yes, I'm a little person. Yes, in some ways, we're not as important as Jesus and the gospel, for crying out loud. But we are necessary for God to build his church. He chose you. You were dead. He brought you to life, and he wants you to be involved in koinonia, true Christian fellowship, sharing Christ together. You and I are like the yeast in that we are little, we are seemingly insignificant, we may appear to be microscopic, but without the leaven, the bread will never rise. Without your small group, this church will never get off the ground. Your small group will always be missing out when you're not there. No, I'm not talking about a cult. I'm talking about a cultivated people who were born to fellowship. I'm talking about a group of brothers and sisters in Christ who love you 
and want to get together to experience more of God. I'm talking about experiencing Christ's love together in community. Hard to happen on a Sunday morning. You walk in, you're here an hour and a half. As soon as you get here, music's starting, announcement time, quartet singing, pastors preaching. Then you're out of here. You're going to rush off. As soon as we close in prayer, you're gone. If you're not careful, you'll make church attendance the main thing. And it's not. Jesus is the main thing. The gospel is the main thing. And us living it out together. And what a better place for that to happen than in small groups where we can actually take time of talking and sharing and relating to one another in a way that would honor Christ. And that's what the second part of the sermon is all about. The meat, if you will, is seven descriptions of a sanctified socialization. You could say seven descriptions of a sanctified small group. Everybody's on social media. You got Facebook. You got this. You got that. Well, look, you want to talk about sanctified socialization. This passage in Romans 12 captures it as good as any. In Romans, Paul highlights the beauty of Christ. He highlights the glorious gospel. He highlights the fact that God has irrevocable promises to his people. But here in chapter 12, he highlights that we as Christians should live in light of the gospel. If we're going to be transformed... Romans 12, 1, therefore be transformed by the renewing of your minds. If we're going to be given spiritual gifts, verses 3 through 8, that each one of us have a, a special gift, a special place, a special equipment that we have, then we need to be displaying that and how we love each other. And so in verses 9 through 21, there are no less than 30. Somebody say 30. 30 things. Thank God I boiled it down to seven. I mean, we would have been here till night service, which we don't have anymore, right? But the idea is like, we have, there's 30 things. I'm going to try to say it in seven. The heading in my Bible above verse nine says, marks of the true Christian. Just for today, you could say marks of the true small group. Marks of the true small group. See if your small group uh, lives like this. Let me give you the first one. Number one, love one another. It's so simple, so true. Hopefully you expected that to be first. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And so after talking about everything that Romans is talking about, it's getting to the very practical theology about loving each other. This love, let your love be genuine, means to let your love be without hypocrisy. It's agape. It's the, I'm loving you because of the way God loved me, and I don't expect anything back. It's, I'm loving you, and I'm true to you, no matter what, because of the gospel love that Christ shows to me. It's sincere. It's true. It's not fake. It's not phony. It's not a farce. And there's two ways to love like that, according to verse 9. One is to abhor what is evil. And instead, hold fast to what is good. This ought to be happening in our small group. And the way to let your love be genuine in abandoning what is evil could be encouraging others in your small group that you want to help them avoid or abandon evil thoughts, evil words, evil actions, that we need to hold each other accountable, that when we're, you know, sometimes in small group, we kind of let our guard down. And all of a sudden, language starts flying. I've noticed this uh, in a barbershop recently. You know, I've been sharing the gospel with some dear folks there, and, and uh, I walk in uh, to get a haircut. You see, it's kind of high and tight right there. Uh, I go walk in to get the haircut, and this brother, I mean, he just starts letting it out. And he's, oh, oh I forgot, you're a pastor. 
you know, and I say, hey, brother, you know what? That doesn't offend me as much as the fact is that you may not know Christ. Let me tell you about him. Let me share with you about the love of God. we got to hold each other accountable. If that stuff is happening in your small group where people, you know, kind of get away from church and let, let it fly, then you need to be a Christian who will say, you know what, brother? We need to hate what's evil. We need to be clinging to what is good. You can practice that right there in your small group. That's a way to let your love be genuine. It's, it's to understand, verse 10, that we're a family. I mean, he says here that we ought to love with brotherly affection. You know, I, I never knew that my brother loved me. I have a brother who's two years older than me, and I never knew that he loved me because he always beat me up. And he always, you know, outdid me here and there, and he always, you know, was kind of aggravating me until one day we had a backyard football game in our backyard. Do you, do you college students still, do you guys know what a football is? I know you're on your phones a lot and uh, playing video games and everything like that. But anyway, we used to play backyard football, an actual game outside. And uh, we would play, and this bully showed up from our neighborhood, and he began to push me around a little bit. I was the little runt out there, and he's pushing me around a little bit. I wasn't as big and strong as I am now. And so, <laughs> so my brother, out of nowhere, shows up, and he begins to push this guy off of me. And for the first time in my life, I'm like, wow, my brother really does love me. Check that out. What's up, bro? You know, and he, so, you know, it's the kind of love we're to have for one another. And hopefully in small group, you're not getting bullied, all right? But hopefully in small group that your friends, your church members, the fellowship of that small group, they're looking out for you. You're getting bullied at work. You're getting pushed around by the culture. And yet you come to small group, now you're on home court advantage. Now you're in a safe zone. Now you got home turf right there, and hopefully we're loving one another with brotherly love. Another way to show love would be that last phrase there in verse um, 10 when it says, outdo one another showing honor. That's what small group ought to be about. No, no, you take the couch. I'll sit back here on the floor. You guys are getting kind of quiet, all right? I mean, you could pull out a stool or something. Maybe you just stand, all right? But the idea is that you could show honor in small group, whether it's just allowing somebody else to talk, really getting to know them, offering to watch their kids. We ought to be outdoing each other. No, you take the last dessert, cup, you know, cupcake. Uh, I'm fine. You know, it's the idea of in small group, it's an opportunity for us to really live out these one another showing Love. Here's a second mark of what your small group ought to look like. Be, serve the Lord together. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. I would say the main part of verse 11 is that serving the Lord. How do you do that? Well, the verse says, don't be slothful in zeal. In other words, your small group is to be excited about serving the Lord together. Excited about serving this church together. In fact, we've broken down many of the service opportunities in our church to small group ministries. Small groups serve our missionaries. Small groups serve during Summerfest. Small groups serve throughout the year where we assign one or two small groups to come together and serve. Small groups serve other families. And the, uh, I believe that the principle here is we ought to be excited about that. Now, nowhere does it hint here that it's sloth. Or it says, in fact, we got to be fervent in spirit. In other words, we ought to be excited about doing that. Not being slothful, fervent literally means to boil. Originally, in the, in the original language, it means to boil, like to boil over, like you're stirred up, like you are stirred up emotionally, you're enthusiastic, you're excited, you're on fire. 
fact, I thought about having a pep rally this morning for small group ministry. Get all nine ministries lined up, small group leaders, and be like, all right, let's see which small group is the most zealous, which one's the most on fire. I got a superlative in high school, so watch out. I got most school spirit, so I could cheer with the best of them, all right? But I think the idea here is not necessarily out, out, you know, outer, external, emotionalism, but I think it's that inner burning, that we are here to be fervent out of our love, to serve together. We're going to serve until it's late. We're going to get up early. We're going to help out wherever we can. We're going to take care of those in our small group because we love the Lord and we love serving one another. The third mark of your small group ought to be praying for one another. Just simply prayer, praying for one another. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. We rejoice in the hope of the gospel. We learn to be patient in the midst of persecution that we may be facing. Uh, We're constantly praying uh, for one another. One of the best ways to rejoice in the hope of the gospel and in the deliverance that he provides through persecution and tribulation is just prayer. You know, by, by the way, hopefully you're not being persecuted by those in your small group. You're being persecuted by those in your small group. You're in the wrong small group. And you might have shown up to the wrong church, all right? And we don't persecute in our small groups. But the idea is as we go through difficult times of tribulation, together as a group, we can rejoice in the hope of the return of our Savior. We can learn to be patient and encourage each other in the midst of tribulation, whether it's a sickness or a tough time at work or a challenging situation at home. And the way to do that, again, is being constant in prayer. We've, we've divided our missionaries into our small groups so that we know that every week some missionary from our church is being prayed over through a small group ministry. We, we try to end our group 30 minutes earlier than whenever small group's over just to break up into guys and their girls and to pray. Right? That, that's what we want small groups to be about. Not only is it sermon-based discussion, not only is it sharing uh, different opportunities for service, it's just simply praying as a small group where you can break into those small groups and share requests and pray together and lift up each other through the week and send each other a text. Hey, man, I'm praying for you. How's it going at work? Hey, I'm praying for your kid. Is he feeling better? Hey, I'm praying for this opportunity that you asked me to pray for. How's it going? That ought to be happening day in and day out through our small group ministry. A fourth description of a healthy group would be this. We meet each other's needs. Meeting each other's needs. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And this is certainly one of the biggest opportunities we have in small groups. We, we want to work together as a family to meet other families' needs, whether a family has a new baby and you're providing a few meals, whether a family has a member that had surgery and you're going to also help cover meals and visit with them, whether you need help with child care, whether you need help moving, whether you need help fixing something in your home. Hopefully you feel comfortable talking to somebody in your small group just this week. There's a new visitor in our small group. I told him about an issue I had at my home, a small, minor issue. Guess what? This brother showed up the next day. Next day, said, hey, dude, done. I took care of it. I said, hey, let me pay you for that. He's like, are you kidding me? It's my joy. That's what we ought to be as small groups. We ought to be just serving each other every moment of every day because we love each other. We care for each other. I mean, this is the early church, Acts 2. 
42 and following, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And they came, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What was the New Testament church about? One big corporate hour of worship once a week? Did they have corporate worship? I believe they did. Was the day of Pentecost a huge part of it? Absolutely. But notice what else they were doing. Meeting together day in, day out in each other's homes, breaking bread, praying together, helping serve each other. That's why the New Testament church was on fire. It wasn't just the preaching of Peter or the preaching of Paul. It was the yeast of the church, the little ones who were rising up and serving one another in such a way that God blessed and added to their number day after day. A fifth description of a sanctified small group would be this, be kind to one another. Verses 14 and 15, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. And so I've already said, hopefully you're not being persecuted by those in your small group, but there's always that one person in your small group that just kind of rubs you the wrong way. Now, we don't have any people like that in our small group. We gave them away. So when they come in, we just kind of shunt them on down the line a little bit. I'm just kidding, all right? We keep all our people. We love all our people. But the idea here is that we've got to be loving each other and learning to rejoice with those who rejoice. That when you have somebody in your small group that gets that promotion or they get to go on a great family vacation or maybe their kid repented and got baptized and you're sitting there wondering what's wrong with your family, are you really rejoicing with them, giving thanks to God, joining together with them and say praise God? the Lord. Are you weeping with those who weep when they go through a rough time, a rebellious kid maybe, lost their job, they're sick, a chronic illness? Are you really walking through them about what is it like to go through that type of difficulty? Are we joining up as a small group in order that we can really connect together in a way that would honor Christ? That's what we need to be doing. We need to be showing this incredible kindness to one another in the ups and the downs of small group. I've been amazed by our small group. Uh, there's been some times that we've had a difficulty maybe with our family or a situation at our house, and time and time again, we've been able to call somebody, and out of their kindness, they always are willing to lend a hand. There's been times I've sent out prayer requests to a few of the brothers in our group. Hey, man, I need your prayer right now. This is going on in our life. We need your prayer. Thank God. For people who want to show kindness, who want to rejoice, and who are there for us to be a blessing to us and not a curse to us. A sixth description of a sanctified small group would be this, live in harmony with each other. Verse 16, this ought to go without saying, but live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now, the temptation would be thinking maybe that word harmony means like we live in peace together, like world peace, like the idea of the 1970s Coke commercial, 
I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. All right, I know I'm off key, but you know, you get the idea, all right? But that commercial talked about what if the world all had a Coke? And what if we were in perfect harmony and we could just hold each other? Well, look, that's not the kind of harmony this is talking about, right? Because you remember, it starts with Christ. And it starts with the gospel, and in fact, the word harmony in the original language means this, quote, it means that uh, to give careful consideration to something. It means to set your mind on something. It means to develop an attitude based on careful thought. In essence, living in harmony means being like-minded, on the gospel, like-minded on sound doctrine, like-minded on all the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith, or you're not in harmony. So we're not joining together with Roman Catholics and Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and people of other faiths. Ultimately, we're joining together with anybody who says it's Christ alone. It's only through the blood of Jesus can I be redeemed, then we are in harmony. And that's the kind of harmony that we're talking about here in verse 16, that we have the same view of the same gospel. And because of that, we don't associate, uh, we don't, we're not accused of not associating with the lowly. We're not being haughty. We're not being wise in our own sight. We're all reduced to a common level through the gospel that we all are in need of Jesus. And so small groups aren't about cliques, hopefully. I mean, Lisa and I have looked around in our small group. We've only hosted a group for one year. And sometimes small group, you know, affords the opportunity to hang out with people that you might not always naturally hang out with. But when they're in your small group, you get those opportunities. And we look around our small group and think, only God, only God could have brought this group together. Some of them are older, some of them are younger, some are single, some have kids, some have no kids, some have a job, some don't have a job. I mean, it's just a, a eclectic group of people coming together out of a common love for Christ and a love for one another. And it's an incredible opportunity for us to be humbled by the love that we've seen in our own small group. And so this is what God's called us to, not to be a clique, right? Just to be friendly, open, inviting to everybody, spend time getting to know people you don't normally get to know. And then uh, last but not least, the characteristic of a healthy small group would be this one, overcome evil by doing good to each other. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read 17 through 21 again, but the idea is that this part of the passage is how to treat your enemy, how to act like Christ in a world of hostiles. And I want to encourage you that you would be encouraging one another to overcome evil with good. When somebody's in your small group, they're going through a rough time, Remind them not to take vengeance, not to blow up, not to get angry, to trust God and to do good and to do kindness and to overcome the evil they face with good. They need that encouragement from you. Sometimes all we hear is like, oh, yeah, man, you ought to stick it to them. What? I'd sue that person if they did that to me. No, 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 no. No, we're a small group of Christians. We love Christ and the gospel. So we're going to encourage everybody to live 17 through 21 in a way that we live that together and we live it with those who are outside of our small group because of the encouragement you receive within the group of how we ought to be living. So let me move to our last heading if I can. I just want to say a couple of things here about there are four changes a small group could bring in your life. If, if what I've said already is not enough, and you're like, Adam, I don't know, I'm not a small group type person, I'm not very social, I don't like to get involved, I don't really, really meet with a bunch of people who I don't know, just give me the preaching, give me some worship, and I'll give you a dollar. That's you. 
Here's, here's four things, four things that I think the small group could do in your life. Are you ready? Number one, moving from a sealed envelope to an open letter. There's too many people in this world who call themselves Christians who are closed books. You don't know anything about them. They are like a sealed letter. You know, when you get that sealed letter and you're like, oh, this looks like an important letter. I got to open this up. I need an open letter. I got to read this letter to know what's going on. Ooh, what's in there? Some of you, I'm still trying to get to know. Some of you might be a little bit like a sealed envelope, and I'm just sitting there scratching my head. I don't know what's going on with that guy. I got to hang out with him. I got to spend more time. I want him to be an open letter. We're looking in our small groups, we're looking for transparency, not tight-lipped Christians. No more secrets. You say, oh, great, I'm going to have to confess all my sin in small group. I'm not going to Tyson's small group. No, look, the idea is we just want to be real. We all struggle. We all have difficult times. Be a little bit more open, a little bit more transparent, a little bit more friendly and kind to one another as we open up. Let it be a safe place to attack real issues coming up in your life. That's our desire for small group. A second desire we would have as elders for our small groups is this, that we're, we want you to move from going from a lonely planet to purposeful relationships. Just this past week, I had somebody from our church saying, I don't have any friends at our church. And I ask, sometimes I'll ask a person like that, hey, are you in a small group? Oftentimes, they'll say, no, I'm not in a small group. It's a lonely planet just wandering around in this world. We want you connected. We want you connected not just here in corporate worship. We want you connected in a small group ministry. We have friends for you. We have Christians who want to love on you, who want to care for you, who want to pray for you, who want to get to know you and have purpose in mind. And that purpose is, is to magnify Christ and God-honoring friendship so that Christ would be praised and that you will benefit incredibly. Stop being a lonely planet. Come in to the folds and experience the love of God through people. The third thing I would say to you is this. Small groups provide service opportunities in bite-sized pieces. If you haven't heard me say it yet, our church is all about Sunday morning. Our church is all about small groups. And our church is all about serving somewhere once a month. That's our desire for every single person in here. That you're here on Sunday, that you're in a small group, and that you're serving on a regular basis. And some of you might say, well, you know what? I'm not going to be on youth staff. I'm not going to be at the college Bible study. I'm not really a leader for men's or women's ministry. I don't know where to serve. You can serve in bite-sized pieces in your small group. How about just helping provide a meal? How about cleaning up the counter when everybody leaves? How about just being offered to watch somebody's kids? Just be a part. Just be an organic part of your small group, and you'll have bite-sized opportunities on a month-in and month-out basis where you can plug in and serve somebody. It's a great opportunity for you to just start getting into the whole world of Christian service, serve faithfully in your small group. And then last, we could say this, lasting change happens at close range. We're talking about discipleship. We're talking about holding each other accountable. We're talking about if you just walk in here and walk out on a Sunday morning, I don't think that God's going to change you in the same degree that he would if you're plugged in discipleship type relationships. If you're plugged in rubbing shoulders with one another, helping confront sin, 
resolve sin, provide opportunities for service, serve one another. Small groups, I believe, will provide and be a means of true change in your life. I'm saying all this to say this. The take home for today is obviously join a small group. Small group isn't just one of the things we do. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got this, we got this, we got this. If you want to go to a small group, you could do that. No, 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 no. Small groups, get this, is for every person. Our desire, our prayer for you is that every person is involved in a small group. And so if you'll pull out one more thing out of your bulletin there, there's a yellow flyer that shows all nine of our small group ministries. All nine of them are listed right here. They're located all the way from Canyon Country to Castaic and everywhere in between. They're all doing sermon-based discussion, which simply means on the back of every sermon note sheet are some questions that you can ask that the leader will lead you through and oftentimes take tangents on purpose so that you so that it's a real conversation about what you're learning here in the message. And so our encouragement is to go to one of these groups. Pick the night that works best for you. Maybe pick the small group leader that you really identify with. Uh, basically, we have two kind of new groups, if I can say it that way. One is the first one on the list, the Barrick group. They've been, in one sense, meeting forever, but it's a little bit of a change of a location. It's going to be more in the Maurice home, and Alex Maurice is going to become more and more of a leader in that group since Dr. Barrick's out of town a lot with different ministry travels. So if you want to visit Alex Maurice's group, the Barrick group, there's one great group that you need to know about. They meet every uh, Thursday night, I believe. And then the other new group is the one right here in the bottom middle. This is Dr. Scott's group, also Charlie and Cindy Mudd. So we have uh, Stuart and Zandra Scott, who have been at our church for almost a year now, who are willing to host a group at their house. And so we have the Mudds and the Scotts right here in Newhall who are leading a small group together. And so if you don't have anywhere to go, let me encourage you, check out the Scott and this Mud small group. I guarantee you that'll be a fantastic one to check out. Notice also some of these have child care, some don't. Uh, so some of them, like I said, meet different nights of the week. You pick the one that works best for you. My encouragement to you is to sign up for one, maybe visit two or three, and somewhere by the middle of September, certainly by the 1st of October, just commit. Just say, hey, we're going to do it for a semester. We're going to do it for a year. We're going to join a small group so that we can be cared for and discipled. Because I'll say this, if you're not in a small group, you will fall through the cracks. It is absolutely impossible for us to keep up with everybody who comes in and goes out of this church. But if you're in a small group, I guarantee you, with God's help, we are keeping dibs on you. We are praying for you regularly. We have an elder appointed to every small group. We will be in prayer for you, and we will be available to you with a much greater degree if we know where you are on the grid. But if you fall off the grid by not being in a small group, I can't promise you. I mean, we'll try. We'll still love you and want to encourage you, but it will be a much different experience. And so our encouragement is to jump in a small group today. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to pray for us. I'm going to close this in prayer. You guys have ample time to head out on the front lawn. All nine small groups are listed. Whether you've been in the same group forever and want to stay with it, we love longevity. We, love, uh, we also love changing things up. And so I promise you, your small group leader will not be offended if you choose today to change groups. You know why I know that? Because we've already met with them. We say, hey, look, you can't hold on to anybody. Some of those people want to get out of your sight, and you've got to let them go. All right, so this is a chance for Apple turnover, but it's also an opportunity to continue the same. It's whatever you want. Remember, you're the yeast of this church. 
And as you release the aroma of Christ in small groups, I believe we'll see this church rise to the occasion to be what God wants us to be. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at a familiar passage here in Romans 12. And Father, I confess that while we just did an overview of this text this morning, those 30 imperatives are so convicting, yet so encouraging. Because I know it's Christ in us as you renew our mind to be able to love others like you've loved us. I pray that we would keep in mind those seven characteristics of sanctified small groups. God, would you be with maybe that new visitor today, maybe that new person who's really not yet tried small groups? Would you just give them a little courage, a little push, a little little, uh, boldness just to say, you know what, I'm going to check out a small group. They keep talking about it. I think I'm going to attend one this year. God, would you just do that work in the hearts of many? I pray for our college students. God, some of them may go to a small group. Others will be involved in the college ministry. And so I pray for them that you would give them wisdom, God, that they'll know we want them to be a part of our church. We want to love on them and disciple them and lead them to Christ. And so, God, help our church as we want to continue with great preaching, fantastic worship, Biblical counsel, help the small group ministry to continue to grow and proliferate and to expand to every part and every person here at our church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, enjoy the-